Episode 38 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles. You feeling nervous? Right guys, welcome along to episode 38 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James I was your monthly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness and all the benefits that come alongside it. Alrighty guys, well uh, welcome along to the show this month. I must say, uh, normally, um, it's a Tuesday here in Christchurch and I normally do some run coaching tonight. Uh, you know, every Tuesday night I do some run coaching and today has been the most horrific day for weather probably in a long time that I've ever remembered in the summertime and it's uh, it's about 150k winds I think they're saying on the radio and it's blowing a gale and it's raining and pouring it's the first time since I've had my running business for five years that we've actually cancelled a run session like we've, we run in everything we run in snow wind hail and all the rest of it except today so I thought I could use this opportunity as a way to get a podcast out there and maybe, you know, get out something out for you guys because I was kind of pushing it for time to get that in this week, so it's kind of cool that I was able to use this opportunity. There's one question I get a huge amount through my emails that I get from you guys and, and through all the kind of social media nowadays, and it's, what are the books that I read? And it's one of those emails that I get a lot, and that I know I should, you know, that at the end of that, on my website, I should have a link to, you know, these are the books that I recommend. And it's one of those things which, when I get an email, I always think to myself, yep, I'll do that. And it's, at the end of that, it's just not much of a priority on the list of things I need to do. So it never really happens. And so this month, I got an email from someone in particular saying, please, please, please send me through your list of books that you like to read, your top 10 books. And I'm not going to do that right now, uh, but I, I thought I would let you guys know that at the end of today's podcast, I'm probably going to give you maybe, I don't know if I'll get to 10, but I'm going to give you the books that I think have had the biggest impact on my thinking and my own behaviours, you know, over the years. And, you know, they're not all coming from one different kind of theme or area, uh, but there's just, you know, certain books which I look upon and I feel have added a huge amount of value to what I do. And in saying that, that, you know, like I, I read a lot of business books, so I imagine there'll be some business books in there. I read a lot of, you know, self-development and uh, biographies and stuff like that. So what I'm going to do at the end of today's show is I'm just going to go through kind of my top books that I, you know, if I were to write down the books that I really recommend the most, um, I'll put them on there. And then what I'll do is I'll put them in the show notes for this month's show on my website, www.bevanjamesisles.com. Just before I get into this month's show, I wrote a piece for my local paper this weekend. You know what, this could almost be a podcast in itself, but I'm going to talk about it before I get into this month's show, because it's a topic that, I don't know, I kind of, as I enjoyed, I enjoyed writing it as I was doing it, so I was writing this piece about a friend of mine who I had, and this friend of mine is someone who, you don't spend a huge amount of time. You know how in life you have those people who you you really only see occasionally. And when I say occasionally, it's, you know, once every year to two years. It's, it's not even, you know, every couple of months or every six weeks. It's You'll see them very rarely. And even in today's kind of high social media world, you still don't really even keep in contact with that person. 
But then when you get together with that person, you know you're going to have a good conversation and you know that, you know, you're just going to get straight back on that same page together that you're going to be interacting in a way that's really cool. And the piece we kind of, I'll tell you the story as, as I kind of told it in the piece because I kind of think it's an important thing. A couple of years ago, I met up with my friend and we went out for coffee and she lives in Wellington. And uh, we went to this cool cafe in Wellington. For those of you who don't know much about Wellington, Wellington is the capital of New Zealand. And when it comes to the idea of culture, you know, the arts, the, you know, theatre and, you know, just creative type people, Wellington is the city that represents that the best in New Zealand in my view, you know, it's it's got a, a very thriving creative community, and there's something about when you about when you go when you go when you go to go to Wellington. It just resents that I was up in Wellington a few weeks ago actually, and uh, I went out one night, and we just the bars were just you know there's just something about the bars that just shows you you're in a place where people care about those types of things, and so we went to this cafe, and it was a really cool cafe, and found a spot, and we just started talking about things and. You know, we kind of caught up on each other's lives for the last period of time, and it was it was cool to catch up. And throughout the conversation, we kind of headed towards a an area that had been a sensitive subject for my friend for a very long time. And it was an area that we we had discussed a lot. So it wasn't an area that was new to me. It wasn't an area of conversation where she was going to be bringing a lot of new stuff to it. It was just you know an area that she struggled with within herself and she you know I was obviously someone within her life she felt she could you know emotionally offload to as a friend and as a friend I was more than willing to to be that person and as she was talking to me I kind of was thinking to myself about how the conversation we were having right then was a conversation that we had had quite a few times in our interactions over the you know last few years as friends and I wasn't thinking this as in a way of, oh, I'm sick of hearing this from this person. But it was just really fascinating to me because, you know, in the last four or five years that we've been communicating, the conversation we'd had had always, at some stage, it had always gone back to this area, which was always a big struggle for my friend. And as I was sitting there and hearing this the same kind of message again, it made me realise she had never really progressed in the area that was quite big to her in her life. So as, as I was thinking about it, and I was just kind of having the conversation to her, I, I said to her, well, you know, I, I kind of wonder, and I, and I said this in a way that was loving, I was like, I'm, I'm not that I'm not wanting to hear about what you're talking about, but I kind of wonder if we can, when the next time we catch up from now, if it's another year from now, if you'll be in the same place with this area. And... At the time, I didn't think much of that comment. I just kind of, you know, I was going like, well, it's really interesting you've sat in this place for a while and I wonder if, you know, another year from now, this is where you'll be. And, and our conversation continued on and we went down, you know, and more down that direction and then took a U-turn and went somewhere else in our conversation. After that, we finished up a conversation, went our own ways and, you know, we never would see each other again. Would You know, who knows? It's that kind of relationship. A few days later, I got an email from my friend saying how how much that question I'd asked her had had massive impact on her. It made her realise that these areas that she knew she needed to work on had always been sitting internally within her, but she actually hadn't ever done anything action-wise or or worked towards overcoming these areas. And that whole idea of that, wow, another year from now I'm going to be in the same place, 
really kind of affected her. And it made her realize that she needed to work towards some development or some, you know, overcoming of this area to get some some people who are skilled and helping overcome that area to get some tools to create supportive networks and you know to work towards overcoming this thing so it's not just an internal battle it's actually a work in progress that she was working towards and it's just it was it was, it was a it was a really inter- interesting interaction for me because i often think that we have these things within ourselves that we think i'll work on it tomorrow but if you don't work on it, if you don't start working on it now, is it going to be another year from now before you, you know, or, or does it never really change? I suppose is the better way of putting it. I remember I've never really had depression. Um, I had I had had what I would consider a very mild level of depression for a very short period of time in my life, about maybe seven or eight years ago, and there was a period where I had. You know, depression's a hard thing. You know, there's so many different kind of scales of the types of depression you can have. And for me, I had a, a mild level where it was it was really strange. It was a, for me, it was like a, a feeling in my stomach. It was a, a horrible feeling in my stomach, which then would lead on to bad thoughts, which would keep me in a bad place for a period of time. And I remember during that time, I always thought to myself, if it stays like this for another couple of days, I'm going to get help. And, you know, because I thought, probably being a typical man, that I can overcome this, you know, I'm going to, I can overcome this, I'm better than this, I've, I've overcome much harder things than this in my life, I'm going to, you know, overcome this thing. And it was always that, if it gets worse, or if, I, if it goes for a certain period of time, that's when I'll take the action. But actually, I needed to take those steps earlier I needed to go see people who would support me, maybe get help from higher level people, or maybe it was just about communicating with people around me. But often in life we have these areas which are, are big restrictors of self. And I know when I go back to the, the, the podcasts I've done in the past, this is an area I have kind of talked about in the past. But sometimes you use those types of questions of, if I were to go three, four, three months from now, and I'm still in the same place, do I want to have three months of this? The thing about the problems, that, that the issues that we need to work on ourselves are, is that they often aren't going to be a quick switch. It's not like you're you're instantly going to go, bang, here's one tool that I use and it turns my life around and it's totally disappeared. That's not to say there aren't tools that can do that, but generally speaking, if you've got big things you're trying to work through, there's going to be a period of time and work and conscious effort and support and people and tools and all that around you that you're going to need to do to be able to progress in those areas. So I suppose before I even get into this month's show, and, and to be honest, this has nothing to do with this month's show. I just kind of, was, I wrote this piece yesterday and it was it's on my mind, so I thought I'd just check it out there for you guys. But I, I think the thing is, if, if you're listening to this and you do have those areas, and you know what, it might be big things, it might be depression, yeah, but it also might be small things. It might be, you know, getting out and doing a little bit of exercise. But if you have these things where, you know, imagine another year if you were still in the same place, what would be the effect of that on your life? What is the cost of that on your life? Do you think they'd be worth working on? And then actually, if you come to the conclusion that yes, now is the time, then what is the, how do I start that? How do I actually get that happening? Because to me, if you were to put that work into that now, and actually you know, start that, that 
you know, the long journey towards moving away from the place where you feel suppressed and, and you have this internal battle and you, you move towards a place where that maybe disappears or, or you get control of or you liberate yourself towards a newer place. That is worth work worth doing today. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's my thoughts. I'm not really sure where I'm going with that, but check it out. This month's show, I'm going to do a sub- subject that uh, I find uh, pretty interesting and it's an area that I find really interesting and uh, for lots of reasons because it's an area where there can be massive value and people can... You know, some people really thrive from this place. But there's an also an area where people can be massively restricted and a lot of people get held back and restrict themselves in their life because of this area. So I'm going to get right into it right now. Remember, at the end of the show, I'm going to do my top favorite books. Uh, also answer some emails, got some good questions coming through this month. And uh, yeah, so let's rock on into it and uh, hear some music. It's funny how your parents have the ability to be able to embarrass you no matter what age you are in your life. And, and often that embarrassment will come from stories of your past. And uh, it's funny, my mum, I love my mum to pieces. I really think I'm very lucky to have my family. They are very supportive and all families have their quirks. But one thing my family has is a foundation of love. And it's it's a really special thing, actually. And, you know, when you have parents behind you who are just always going to be on your side unconditionally there's I don't know it's it's pretty cool and uh but my mum she joins my running group and um and, and like my mum she started my running group about oh, probably two or three years ago now and my mum's always been a very active lady always been fit went to the gym when I was a kid you know was a and bit of an athlete when she was a kid herself and you know just always was very active and uh walked a lot and wanted to run and uh, I said to her you should join my 5k group and she was like oh you know I always get injured and you know, I, I talked to her for maybe a year before she actually gave it a try and, you know, within two weeks she was addicted and she's gone on to do half marathons and she's eyeing up her first marathon this year. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of what she's achieved. And, uh, but, you know, in my running group where I'm this kind of a leader and, uh, you know, and one of the big personalities of the group, my mum has the ability sometimes to pull out some stories just, you know, as a mum would to keep you in place. And one of the stories that will often come up in those social environments where your mum can embarrass you, for me, was a story of when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, at my primary school, I, I, you know, I was the athlete. I wasn't an academic at all. Like, I, you know, school for me was never much about academic achievement at all because I didn't really achieve any. And uh, But, you know, one thing I was really good at was sport. And at my primary school, I was kind of the kid who was just good at everything um you know at sports day I I kind of just thought I would win everything and uh you know from a very early age and in any sporting endeavor I just you know why wouldn't I win was kind of how I thought and my mother tells the story of how when I was maybe five or six we had our, our athletics day you know the 100 meter race the 200 meter race the long jump high jump and how you know, before that day, I told my mum, mum, I'm going to win everything that day. And so along comes the races and, and, you know, lo and behold, I managed to win everything. And, you know, I'm probably a little bit of a cocky shit. And um, they have the awards ceremony, you know, they have the podium and, and they give you these these medals. And I remember the medals are really important to me and, and I, they're probably just a piece of paper in a circle. But at that time, 
that were really important to me. And in the last event, which I think was the, the sprint, the last event I won the sprint and they had the podium and all the parents in the whole school were sitting up there watching the kids get the, the medals from the event. And in front of all the parents in the whole school, I screamed out to my mum, See mum, I told you I'd win everything. And obviously she was highly embarrassed by this and, you know, I, I still get given a hard time about that to this day. Through my primary years, as I was saying earlier, I was always the kid who was just good at sport and uh, and, I, and I loved sport. I loved competition. I, uh, I loved winning and I loved chasing the goal and, uh, you know, the sport was just all I ever wanted to do with my life. And then something happened around the time that I got to intermediate school. So in New Zealand we have, well, when I was at school, we had a schooling system that was, you have primary school, which is from around about five through to around about 10 or 11, and then you'd move on to an intermediate school. And it's kind of a school that goes for a couple of years uh, between primary and the high school years. So intermediate is two years from maybe 11 to 12 or 11 to 13. And then from there you'd move on to high school, which is your obviously your last period at, at school. Um, something really interesting happened to me when I went to intermediate at primary school I thought I'd win everything and I pretty much did win everything now it didn't mean I, th- I was a great athlete I would often go to the zone sports and the zone is where lots of schools would compete against each other and, and I would do okay at those those events but I was never a rock star at those events so I wasn't, I wasn't actually an amazing athlete my competition Probably wasn't that strong, but I was good, you know, good a good little athlete for what I was racing against. When I got to intermediate, the guys who I used to race against, the guys who, when I would go to the zones, would sometimes beat me, were suddenly in my school. Because when you got to intermediate, intermediate was the convergence of, you know, four or five of the primary schools within a certain area. So suddenly, I went from a place where I was always winning to where I was going to be racing against guys who would have often beaten me at the zone sports. There was this really interesting shift within me around that time. At primary school, the only thing I looked forward to doing at school all day long was anything to do with sport. Like when the bell rang for lunch, I was outside to play running and sports and ball rush and rugby and and, anything to do with those activities. Uh, when it came to sports day, I put my hand up. I wanted to always be active and, and competing and stuff like that. And when I got to intermediate, when I was going to be testing myself against a higher level of athlete more often, suddenly those feelings, those that desire to be doing the thing that I loved the most, had disappeared. Suddenly, when it came to the moment where I wanted to be competing, Instead of being excited about showing my ability, I became really nervous. I became anxious. And I would look for reasons why not to race. And that's what I started doing. I started not competing. My nervousness and my anxiousness about not being good enough made me stop competing. Like I, I remember sports days, I would pretend I was sick. It actually got so bad to the point where I basically lied about a leg problem that I had, and I had my mum take me to the doctor, and you know they got all these tests done because I had all these problems with my legs and stuff like that. And and at the end of the day, looking back, if I'm going to be really honest about it, there was not much wrong with my legs at all. Um, it was just 
my anxiety and my fear. It created this massive nervousness around me racing. And this anxiety and fear and nervousness actually limited me. Because all of a sudden, I switched from being a kid who was excited about the opportunity of doing exercise and, and you know, revealing what I was or, you know, expressing myself through movement to being a kid who was nervous and, and you know, and uh, had anxiety around exercise to the point where I stopped exercising altogether. For a period of time from in my intermediate years, I pretty much stopped doing all types of athletic sports. And, I, you know, like I said earlier, I wasn't a strong sport, but I, a strong, the strongest kid in the block. But uh, I never also trained, so I, I obviously had natural ability. And if, if someone had trained me in those sports, you know, I could have gone a lot further. Who knows, you know, you never know how good you could have been. But at those times, instead of kind of moving towards, you know, developing myself in this area of my life, my anxiety actually limited me. And that's what I want to talk about today. In today's show, the whole idea of anxiety, the whole idea of nervousness, and how that can be a massive limiter in people's lives in, in ways that can actually hold them back in areas they want to move towards. So that's what we're really going to get into. And doing my research for today's show, I kind of kind of kind of, you know, could do my research as you do. And uh I kind of there's a statement that I read there which I really felt probably determined what anxiety was and, and there's a few different areas and types of anxiety we're going to talk about in today's show and, and we're going to talk about how sometimes anxiety can can add value to what we are doing but also how it can also be a massive limiter and for a lot of people out there they have that that massive limiter and there's a definition that I that I would like to read to you guys which I really th- I think it probably helps us to understand what anxiety is or, or nervousness or you know, those two words kind of sit in the same place, but anxiety is a mood that is generally characterized by excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry about everyday things that is disproportionate to the actual source of the worry. I say that again because it's kind of important. Mental, sorry, anxiety is a characterized by excessive, uncontrollable, and often irrational worry about everyday things that is disproportionate to the actual source of the worry. I thought I'd share an experience. I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and he he kind of experiences um, that definition that uh, we talk about there, and in, in in a way that limits him in his life. And you're saying how when he gets to a moment in his life where he starts to feel nervous or or he starts to have anxiety, doubt creeps up into his mind, and what happens in his own mind as he goes through this process is he starts to go down the path of what will happen. In that moment, from that forward, moment forward, and he's saying how for him he'll go ten steps down the path of what's actually going to happen. So the event that he is facing, he sees it as ten times, you know, more massively, and it's like this big, scary, hairy monster that he has in front of him. And you know, when he gets to that place, there's really no chance of him actually doing the behaviour or moving towards the action he wants to move towards, because that ten steps down that path. It's just so scary that there's no chance of him wanting to take it on. But the other thing that he's kind of learning to acknowledge is that that place is also massively unrealistic. That the anxiety, the nervousness he's experiencing in that area creates an unrealistic, totally irrational 
prediction of what the experience will be like. And for those people who have this kind of negative anxiety or this kind of restrictive nervousness, this is where they tend to go. They perceive the situation as uncontrollable or unavoidable, but they're not actually not realistic when they're doing this. It's really interesting when you look at fear, like often when we think about fear, people will associate fear with anxiety, but it's, it's a different kind of beast because like fear is basically like, fear is real and fear really, you know, we talk about fight or flight responses, but fear really comes, it's kind of short lived. It's, it's really much in the moment, you know, uh, something will happen and you fear this fear, but it's actually happening right now and it's geared towards a specific threat. So, you know, you're swimming, you see a shark, you're going to experience fear. Um, and your whole idea of fear is that you want to escape the threat as fast as possible. Whereas the anxiety is more long acting. It's kind of future focused where we're looking towards what's happening in the future. And we're really worried about, what is going to happen in the future and it tends to be a bit more broadly focused it's not that specific here's a shark it's you know it's covering a a wide area of you know thinking when you're doing it when we think about anxiety or or nervous i'm not really sure if i'm going to call anxiety or nervousness today i'm kind of going to probably cross between both of them but when we think about those things there there is a good side of being nervous I remember when I was doing my training as a fitness instructor and they talked about um, two different types of performers and they talked about a performer who was, I can't remember her name, but who was a very successful singer maybe in the 60s or something like that and, and had these massive hits and how when they would go to, she, she never really made much of a career as a, a live performer and, uh, you know, as a studio musician who released songs, massively successful and but when it came to performing she just just couldn't do it and it was because she went to this nervous place where she went to her anxiety and she probably did that 10 step process where you know going in front of the you know in front of a crowd of people just she saw it as this big scary monster and you know who can you can only imagine the thoughts that were going through her head that restricted her from getting on stage and that's another example of you know nervousness holding me back and then when, when I was doing my training, they, they kind of talked about this person. Then they talked about Bruce Springsteen. Now, Bruce Springsteen will go down in history as one of the greatest performers ever. Actually, he was just in New Zealand a couple of days ago, and he was all in the news. And, you know, a friend of mine went to the concert, and they said, the guy's, I think he's like 60 now. You know, he's, he's, he's getting on. Not, not that 60 is too old, but you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's not a spring chicken anymore. And uh, he played for hours, and he just, you know, they said he was just a fit man, and, and his performance was phenomenal, and they just loved every moment of the show. And they talked, they did an interview with Bruce Springsteen and asked him, what what is his emotional experience before he gets on stage? And Bruce Springsteen used words like excitement. He used words like, um, you know, buzzing to go. Those are the types of words he used around that feeling he experienced before he went on stage. Now, I imagine Bruce Springsteen still had a level of anxiety. He still gets a little bit nervous now, maybe now when he's done the everyday shows, but there'll be those shows that are important to him, and he'll feel that that anxiety. But for someone like Bruce Springsteen, he uses that anxiety as a tool to move him towards action to getting better. 
And that's when we think about, I think there's a term called eustress. Eustress is a whole idea of, um, you know, a stress that is healthy that actually leads to action that's, that improves us. And, you know, that's that kind of anxiety there is there's a certain level of anxiety that's actually a healthy level of anxiety for us. And for a guy like Bruce Springsteen, when he feels that anxiety, it just builds towards excitement and makes him probably practice a little bit harder and do the work. And so when he gets on stage, he knows his stuff that he can perform the best he possibly can. Whereas the singer from the 60s, the female singer, who was an amazing singer, but would never get on stage, she saw the hairy monster that was 10 steps down. And my question for you is, if you are someone who experiences this nervousness or anxiety, are you being unrealistic? Are you seeing that 10 steps down the piece where you're seeing that big scary monster? And is it holding you back in areas of your life? that you want to develop yourself in. One thing we want to think about when we're thinking about this kind of nervousness and anxiety is if you are somebody who has those, you know, those feelings and you know it's holding you back, and, and you know, if you're listening to this right now, you, you'll know if it's you. And you may be someone, for example, who in one area of your life, it, it, you know, you're really competent, you're very confident and you don't feel it at all. Actually, to be honest, okay, group fitness, you get me in front of a thousand people, I've got no problem. I'm going to get up there, I'm going to rock it out. The anxiety I feel, I, I, get, I get a dry mouth. My Before I jump on stage to do a really important group fitness class, my mouth dries up, which is really frustrating when you're about to teach because you, you need your voice. And so, you know, I need fluid, but that's what happens. I, I need to go to the toilet before I start, even though I've been to the toilet 10 times beforehand. But to me, that's that Bruce Springsteen place. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm anxious, but it's anxiety that makes me want to get better. But then when I jump on my piano and I go to go around, like, I've just got an email today because I'm going to go start jamming with a new band and, and I'm still going to be the weakest link in the band. And I know when I go around there, the anxiety I feel kind of takes me towards that hairy monster place. And when I first started playing in bands, I was that was real restrictive. I wouldn't really put my hands up because I felt my ability wasn't good enough. Whereas now I'm... I'm shifting more towards that kind of Bruce Springsteen, you know, that, that where anxiety is about helps me become better in my performance. So you may be listening to this and you may be a person who in one area of your life, like at work, you know, I don't experience anxiety, I'm confident, I know my ability, whereas, you know, in my hobby, I have a lot of anxiety. Or you might be somebody who just experiences a lot of anxiety around everything you do in your life. And to me, this is a really important area of you for you to actually work on in developing yourself to overcome, you know, some some massive life limiters. Because if you move towards, if you want to develop yourself in a certain area of your life, but all you see is that 10-step scary monster of the outcome you'll see, you're going to stay in a safe place. It often isn't the most satisfying place in your life. So when we think about this kind of nervousness, anxiety, the first thing I want you to think about are, uh, what are my cues that are telling me I'm going to this place? You know, what are the cues that let me know I'm starting to feel anxious or nervous in an area that I know I'm limited, my, limited in? So let's say you feel very limited or anxious with the idea of doing some public speaking. Well, let's say exercise, you know, this is meant to be an exercise podcast, so I should probably do some exercise stuff within it, but let's say that you are 
you know, you really want to get out and exercise, but you feel anxious about it, you feel nervous about it because you haven't exercised in a while. And you haven't exercised in a while, and, you know, the last time you exercised, it didn't go that well. So you tried to do some exercise, you weren't that good. So suddenly you're going to feel nervous about going towards exercise. The first thing I want you to think about is, what kind of anxiety am I feeling? There's some of different types of anxieties that we can experience when we move into these types of situations. You know, one one that we talk about is what we call test anxiety. You know, we'll talk about students who, um, you know, they're going to do an exam and they experience the, the test anxiety. It was funny, I was talking to my um, my partner's cousin the other day, and he's a, he's a very intelligent doctor, and um, he was saying he did a conference in Australia where he had to basically get some kind of certificate at the end, and there was a test, and it was a test where you went in this room, and all these high-level people would just kind of chuck really hard questions at you, and he said he was just so nervous going into it, and uh, he was experiencing all this anxiety, but, you know, for his career, he had to do it, and, uh, you know, so he went through it, and he got through it, and he was very satisfied, but that, 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 that's what we call test anxiety, a moment where you have to test yourself. So that might be the athlete who is going to be racing. It might be um, a, a school test. It might be something you have to do at work. It might be something you've worked really hard at, a piano exam, something like that. When we go to those places, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, your personal worth, you know, how you're going to be graded. Are you worried about the embarrassment or, you know, if you're going to pass Another type of anxiety we often think about, and this is a big one for a lot of people who haven't exercised for a while, and, and let's say you're overweight, is what we'll call social anxiety. Social anxiety is when you're worried about what other people are going to think about you. And let's be honest, this is a massive, massive area for many people out there. A lot of people don't go towards exercise because they're worried about the social judgment of them moving into that environment. It's interesting with my, my Get Up to Five running group. You know, it's designed for the new exercisers. So, it, 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 you know, the people who turn up are people who haven't exercised for a while. So you, you are getting people who are overweight. You are getting people who haven't exercised in a while. And you know that when they come to the first seminar, you know, we do an introduction seminar which helps them to break the ice and lets them realise that they're they're kind of going to be normal in this group, but they walk in the room and you can tell they're worried that are they going to be the only person who's a little bit overweight? And one of the nice things for these guys is they walk in the room and they see that it's a mix of people that's very similar to them and I think that allows them to lose that social anxiety. But their social anxiety, that worry of judgment from other people, is a massive restrictor for a lot of people out there, particularly with exercise. Because if you're overweight or if you haven't exercised in a long time, what do you think of when you think about people who exercise? You think of the beautiful people. You think of people who, you know, who have, you know, six-pack abs and, and you know, eat perfectly and, you know, run a marathon. You know, you, you see the best version of that person out there. And so then you try to fit what you see in yourself, which is probably quite harsh, into their environment. And you go towards that 10-step scary, hairy monster. Now, is that going to restrict you? Yeah, it's going to restrict you a lot. 
if you see yourself as being, oh, I'm going to walk into this environment, in that environment, the scary monster is, they're going to be talking behind my back saying I'm fat, or everyone's going to be waiting for me at the end of the session, or I'm going to be embarrassed, or, or I won't be able to do the movement if it's a skill movement, I'll, I'll make a dork of myself. You're going to see the worst case scenario of how the others around you are going to judge you. Now, is that going to help you move towards that place? Highly unlikely. Another area we need to think about is choice anxiety. And choice anxiety is when you have two different options, you know, and what if I make the wrong choice? You know, what, what, you know, like it's almost like I have two choices, and what if I make the wrong choice? And, you know, and you kind of look at both choices and you may be unrealistic about one choice that may be the better choice. And so you go down that 10-step process and you make a choice that's based on safety, not based on what is actually the right choice for me. The, the last one I'll probably mention is historic anxiety. And historic anxiety, I've, I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, the whole idea of I have a history of failure in this area. So now when I look at myself in this area, I look to my history of failure and it's hard for me not to see the 10-step hairy monster. I, I have talked about this in the show before, but I'll, I'll reinforce it now. As the person who has tried, you know, the, the thing I often say is that people who have been unsuccessful with exercise, it's not that they haven't tried. The person who's failed is failing with exercise out there. 99% of them have tried something, but they've failed. And when they've failed they now have a history that they're a failure. And that history reinforces all the bad stuff so that then when they go towards an opportunity towards growth, that history brings up the anxiety and the nervousness and reinforces that 10-step period monster, which again becomes a massive limiter for you. You can see how these these types of things, you know, the, the test anxiety, the social anxiety, the choice anxiety, historic, there's many of these types of anxieties out there. Um, there'll be specific ones that are just to you. Certain experience or certain areas of your life where you just feel very anxious. Um, and again, it might be based on the historic. It might be because you've had history of that area and when you go to the area you feel nervous, you feel anxiety. So the first thing we want to start doing is now that we understand the anxiety, and, and, and you know, I want to work towards this, this podcast being about giving you tools to move through these things. So the first thing is, is first of all, to learn to really contemplate the areas of my life where anxiety or nervousness is restricting me, and I want to progress in that area. I think it's important to say because sometimes you don't want to progress in a certain area. You know what? I might feel anxious as public speaking, but I'm never going to do public speaking, and I don't care to do public speaking. So you know what? For the once and every three years I have to get up in front of a group, I'm going to have to nut that out and it'll suck, but it's not an area I need to develop. Exercise, I feel very anxious, I feel very nervous, but I feel very unhealthy. And I want to feel healthy in my life. And my anxiety, my nervousness is holding me back in this area of my life. So this is an area I want to address. So determine the areas of your life that you actually want to work on within yourself, within your, you know, and where you feel the anxiety is holding you back. Then try to determine what kind of anxiety is holding me back within that. So let's look at the exercise example. You might be someone who's not necessarily that worried about, you know, the historic anxiety around it. It might not be about the different choice of exercise you need to do. It might just be the social anxiety you experience. 
And if you can really identify what that is, it helps you clarify the path forward towards moving past that. You know, if you can really figure out, you know what, the what I'm feeling here is the social judgment I'm going to experience as I move into exercise environments. That's a much better place to start towards working towards overcoming this because you now know what you're working on. So think about what is the anxiety I'm experiencing and what type of anxiety can I experience? Why is that important? So let's say it is about, you know, social anxiety. So then you know if it is about social anxiety, as you start towards planning rational, healthy paths forward, you know that it's about trying to set up environments around people who are going to be more accepting or or you feel more comfortable around. So if you are the overweight person, you know, you might check out like my get up to five group because you know that it's people who are a little bit newer to exercise and you know they're going to be experiencing and going through the same thing, which releases and kind of pops the balloon of that social anxiety you experience. Whereas if it was someone who's based on test anxiety that, you know, you don't, you know, deep down, you know, you want to do a marathon, but you know, you don't want to test yourself because you don't want to look like a failure. So for you, the better option is to start with smaller tests. You know, you're not so worried about what your friends are going to feel, but you, within yourself, you know that if you don't get that marathon finished, you're going to beat yourself up and feel like a, you know, that you've never achieved anything in your life. So for you, it would be about, okay, well, I know that my anxiety is around testing myself. So maybe what I should start doing is, is lowering the level that I'm going to test myself in when I do this. So once you've got the, the idea of what is the area that I need to really figure out my anxiety is in, and the more you can identify what that is, the, the better you are going to be able to create plans and, and strategies to move through that. The second thing you want to start thinking about is learning what you go through when you get your anxiety. And this is a really important part of, of you shifting in this area. The greater awareness you can create around what actually happens to me when I feel anxious or when I feel nervous, then you can use it as a trigger towards shifting you towards predetermined strategies that will help you be more successful. You know, as I was saying earlier, when I'm doing my group fitness, you know, Liz Mills DVD, the moment I jump on stage, my mouth dries up. Seriously, it's like you're eating wheat bicks and you just got no fluid in your mouth and it's all dry and sticky. And for me, I'm, I'm a bit more of the Bruce Springsteen guy in that area of my life. So I just look at that as, you know, this is part of the process. I'm excited. It's all good. But, you know, that's, that's a, a physical trigger for me to know that I'm getting nervous. You know, what happens to you? You might find that your heart rate increases. You know, a big one for a lot of people is, you know, they can't sleep. Um, you know, all those types of physical cues that remind you or that let you know you're going down that path. You could also have, you know, when we think about that, there's, there's a physical aspect of it. And the more you can understand that, the better. But also, what are the, the thought patterns that happen in your head that can really help you identify that, hey, I'm moving towards a place which is going to take me down that 10-step hairy monster place. That's obviously my metaphor. My hairy monster is my metaphor for today. So when we think about that, that's what we want to think about. Is starting to learn, what do you start trembling? Do you start sweating? Do you find that your breathing rate increases? You know, and this is one of those things that is such an individual experience. There's no one way fits all people. But the more you can understand, 
okay, these physical symptoms are coming forward, then you can know, oh, now is the time for me to switch towards strategies. So there's two things, the physical, you know, the, the kind of physical external signs, and then what's happening inside your head. And I think one thing that that's a really big part of learning how to progress forward from this is, is learning what's actually happening in my head at those times, and how can I get the most you know, how can I learn what that process is so that I can, you know, slot in a different strategy at that time. You know, you could, when you start to get those physical symptoms or you start to feel nervous, maybe you could pull aside from what you're doing and just write down what's happening in your head. One of my clients, what I've got them doing recently is whenever they start to feel this anxiety is I've got them to grab their phone and record and just talk to their phone and talk through what they're going through in their head. What's the thinking process that's actually happening in their head? That's quite a good strategy because you can quite easily do that here and now and that's what we want to think about when we think about, you know, getting these thoughts out of our head. Now, at that time, it's just about you learning, you know, let's say you do, you know, you're feeling anxious about something where you know you're restricting yourself. So you grab your phone and you start to, you know, you start to talk to your phone and, and really you're just trying to talk your thoughts. You're really just trying to get out what actually happens in that moment. So you might talk about how, you know, nervous and then doubt and then I go down this place and, you know, have that conversation with your phone that's going on inside your head. Now what you can do post that nervous, anxious moment is you can listen to that you talking to your phone and you can really start to pick up What's actually happening here? What are, what are those words and what are the, how do I learn that this kind of communication to myself is taking me down this path? And that's the real value of that awareness part of this process is to really stop, know I'm nervous and record. Now the interesting thing I think you'll find is when you go to uh, listen to it or read it afterwards is, you know, if we go back to that whole idea of that uh, anxiety is characterized by an excessive, uncontrollable and often irrational worry, when you're not in that anxious moment, you can probably see that you were being irrational in the way you perceived what you're about to face. But in that moment, it's often a harder thing to change. But it's just nice for you to be able to see how irrational you do get at that time. And that's why recording is really important. The, other, the main reason it's actually really important is so that you know, I'm going to this place. I need to think about how I'm going to shift. Now, the shifting side of it is probably, uh, you know, what we want to work about. And there's an idea here that I want to introduce to that I think is a really important uh, idea. And it's a whole idea of desensitization towards change. There's, there's many ways you can change. And one of the ways often people will change is, is kind of the jump off the bridge kind of way of changing. I'm not sure if that's an official term, but that's what I'm going to call it. And when you do the jump off the bridge, let's say, you know, it's that, you know, you're afraid of snakes. And so what do you do? You, you, you jump in a pit of snakes and you learn, you know, these snakes aren't that bad and I'm not going to die. And that big shock allows you to overcome that, you know, that fear of snakes. Well, the desensitization strategy is kind of the total opposite of that. It, it's really about you learning to build confidence slowly in the area that you need to develop yourself. I was, I'm actually listening to a, a very good book right now. Um, wait a second, I'm going to pull it up. It's called um, Quiet, The Power of the Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. It's, it's a really great book. It's, it's, it's a book about how in the modern times, in the last pretty much 100 years or so, the world shifted away from a place where it was about humans finding character and, and moral 
kind of a moral way of living towards personality being, you know, the key trait for success and how as you know and since pretty much the 20s onwards you know we we hold the people up for the most personality in the world and through that one of the downfalls of that encouragement of personality we've suppressed the whole idea of the introvert and the value of the introvert and and introverts have almost been made to feel wrong for the way they do things and a uh, great book check it out if you touch as a note for you but what what in this book, she talks about how for herself, the author of the book, and her name is Susan Can, she talks about how she, public speaking, she's an introvert, and public speaking was her biggest fear ever. And she decided that she needed to overcome this, and she went to see a, a course somewhere in New York. And at that course, they had, they really took the desensitization program. That they weren't, it wasn't about checking you up in front of the group and saying, okay, go and just figure this stuff out. It was slowly working you towards, again, those small steps to desensitize you to the fear that you experience. So they don't chuck you on the snake. They, they might give you a snake lolly at first. And I'll let you sit with that for a little bit. And then once you're a little bit more comfortable with that snake lolly, then they may you know, make you watch a YouTube clip with a snake that's not even that dangerous. And then from there, they might get you to watch a snake that's a little bit more dangerous on YouTube. And then eventually you might go to the zoo and see a snake behind. And, and to the point where maybe eventually you'll hold the snake. But what they've done is they're desensitizing you to the biggest fear that you have. To the anxiety that you're sitting in. And that's what we want to think about as we kind of think about the third step in this process. And that, you know, the first step is to identify what kind of anxiety is it that I have. So you can really be clear around that. The second step is to create the awareness around what's actually happening when I move into this anxiety. And then the third step is to, to figure out strategies that can help you desensitize the anxiety that you have. From there, it's about planning. So once we know that, okay, I have social anxiety when I move towards exercise, and I know that when I'm going towards, or even when I think about going to do social exercise, I my heart rate picks up. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I feel uncomfortable. My self talk goes down this way, and I notice I say these things to myself. I also know that it takes me down this line of ra- irrational thought. So now I, I think to myself that I could never do exercise again because, you know, I'm fat and overweight and lazy. Now that's a totally irrational thought. Everyone can do some form of exercise. So from there, it's then about, okay, well, what is a desensitizing way that I can work towards? What's the thing that I want to work towards that's going to break down this anxiety? What's that, that, you know, that lolly snake that I'm going to hold on to in this time that's going to allow me to sit in this place for a while to realize that level's not that bad? And then really being able to put a plan in place so that when you the awareness pops up to go, okay, this is the thing that I will do when I start to feel nervous, when I start to feel anxious. Then over time, you're developing a strategy and a plan to get you through those times. Ultimately, what you're trying to do through this strategy is, is to remove that uncontrollable and often irrational worry. You know, that's, that's what we're doing because it takes you to that 10-step hairy monster. We know you need development in that area. We know that in those areas that we are a little bit anxious, it is often the area where we aren't, you know, where we aren't that, you know, strong or, or you know, advanced. 
So there will be some development that needs to be happening, but by doing this we're removing the irrational aspect of it, and you can identify what the real problem is, or where the next step of growth is for me, and what can I focus on when I am feeling that nervousness. And that's where we want to shift towards, whereas not going from where nervousness and anxiety is a restrictor, but where the nervousness is, you know, a feeling like Bruce Springsteen, which is almost a performance nervousness, a performance anxiety, which is, well, I want to hold that snake. I'm a little bit fearful, but you know what? I can prepare myself for holding that, you know, that lolly snake. And then once you've been desensitized to that level, then identifying, okay, well, then where is my next level for my desensitization as I move towards this bigger area that is really holding me back? This is pretty massive, really. You know, like, uh, when we think about restrictors in life, this, this whole idea of anxiety and nervousness is one of the biggest things that holds us back. It really is. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this today are sitting in a place where they really understand and, and they feel they know what I'm talking about. And the question I always think is, is how long are you willing to sit in this place and let this restrict you in an area that's really important in your life? Like your health. It's, you know, your health is such a such a major part of your life. And how long are you allowing your nervousness or your anxiety, which creates irrational thinking, restrict you from you know, being unhealthy. It's kind of like the introduction I did at today's show, really, isn't it? Is we have these things we deep down know we need to work on. And um, we need, you know, we need to address them. And if we don't address them, we're just going to stay in that place for a very long time. And, and when is the point that's so bad? Or when is the point where we actually move towards change and move towards the tools? And anxiety that restricts you is one of those things that can have a massive influence on the path of your life. Whereas if you're willing to accept that today's the day I start working on this and, and to use maybe a strategy like the one I have today, I also think there's more things you can add on top of this, like how do you get great support for people around you? I, I, I just can't recommend that enough, to have someone to share this experience with and someone to guide you through it and someone who maybe has a bit of experience, maybe a professional, you know, a psychologist or someone who you just know has that kind of aura or understanding in this area. Someone to work through it, someone to go to in the tougher times to help you figure it out. But ultimately, it, it it's about you making the commitment to working on this. I guarantee that if you were to commit time daily in your life towards understanding, towards using some of the tools I've suggested today, and, and also evolving how it works for you, the more understanding you'll get, the more you'll work out what works for you, and learning to trust in that. But if you were to consistently put time and energy to overcoming this, these areas of your life where you know you restrict yourself due to thoughts that are based on irrationality because of anxiety you have, and if those thoughts start to dissolve or you learn to put in place different actions that lead towards you know, you not restricting yourself, what does it mean for you? What opportunities does that happen in your life? Does that create for your life? Who do you end up becoming? Will you feel that you are living the life that you want to live? So think about today's show. 
you know, remember that nervousness and anxiety can be an uncontrollable worry that leads you to irrational thoughts that restricts you. Once you, if you feel that, you know, in areas of your life that you don't want to be restricted in, identify what kind of worry you're bringing to it. Learn what is the what happens to me. Create awareness around what happens to me when I feel anxiety. Learn tools to learn languages. You know that you you know use those tools, and then think about strategies you can put in place that that desensitize you to that anxiety that you feel. That make you allow you to move towards action where you experience success on the other side of that. To me, if you're willing to put that time in and you work on it often like it's not going to be that thing that's going to happen overnight it's going to be something that may take months and may take years but to me that's great use of your energy because at the end of the day it's going to take you closer to that that best version of yourself i always talk about all right team well that's uh that's this month's show hopefully you got something out of that uh yeah, hopefully, hopefully you did, hopefully you did. I've, um, so I've got to pull up some emails here, so I'm just going to kind of talk to you as I go along. I'm not doing a workbook for this month's show, I just, to be honest, I just don't have the time. It's a kind of a busy month for me this month, it's kind of, everything's happening at once. So um, maybe if you listen to this in the future and you want to go check out the website, there may be one on there, but um, I'm not sure if there will be, if I'm going to be honest. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pull up some emails, and I've got my little file here in my little Google account. And one of the ones I got here was around an email here from a person who basically, I'm going to wrap, I'm going to read the email and wrap up and come back to you. Give me two seconds. I got an email from a, a lady called Ingrid and she plays piano. It sounds like she's a pretty mean pianist if I'm going to be honest because she's, uh, she's studying piano and uh, she kind of, she's kind of, she was very encouraging to my playing as well and I'm sure I'd love to watch you play Ingrid because I'm, I'm very much at my kind of just slightly below average stage in my career, but I'm getting there. I work really hard at it. But she's got a question for me. I have one question for you. I've been living here. Uh, now she was, I think she's based in America or the UK. She's going uh, from Australia. So I think she's going back to Australia. But I have been living here for two years for uni and I'm moving back to Oz in three months from now. I have set up and I continue to set up really great habits here, but I'm concerned that the event of moving back may disrupt them as I'm not used to doing them in that environment. This has been the case when I've been home for visits four to eight weeks. I slip back into not exercising and not eating as well as I have. Some of that is because I am doing a lot of catching up with people and I am in holiday mentality, which case won't be the case, which won't be the case when I move back permanently. That said, I'm aware that at the moment the habits I associate with being in Melbourne are not the ones I want to cultivate. When I go back permanently, I will be in a new house with my partner. We will be living together, just us, for the first time. Before I came to the US, we were in a shared house together, and we've been apart for the last two years, apart from visits. I don't have a job lined up, but will likely be doing a variety of freelance music work. What would be good preparation planning for me to do so I can maintain my workouts and healthy eating in this new context and not slip into my less healthy former Melbourne-based self? It's a really, really good question. Actually, as we talk about books, I'm going to kind of go into my top 10 books in a second, but um, there's one book that's called The Power of Habit, which may go in my top 10 books, I'll talk about that in a second, but... And it really talks about the, the thing that Ingrid has here right now. And in the, in the Power of Habits, there's one chapter that's very interesting in particular because they talk about how 
Target, the, the retailer in America, has figured out that if they can if they can figure out if someone's pregnant, they really want to make sure that they get that person to buy be a buyer of Target's products because if someone when, when someone's pregnant, they create change in their habits in their life. And when they create change in their habits, once they're set in stone, they tend to stick with them for a long time. So Target, because nowadays they keep so information around their, the purchases of their buyers, they've created these algorithms that can figure out when somebody's pregnant. And in the, in the book, there's a funny story about how a, there's a father who rings Target saying, do you think my daughter's pregnant? Because they're sending her ads that are specifically, you know, for pregnant women. They're not all about pregnancy, but there's a majority of pregnancy kind of ads in there. And they've got deals in there for someone who's pregnant because they've been watching her purchases and they watch and see what, you know, they know that when you get pregnant, you might buy these types of products. And uh, it turns out in the book that the father didn't know his daughter was pregnant, but she was. And, you know, and the reason Target do that is they know that when we have change in life, we change our habits. And when you think about your life right now, when you think about, you know, the habits you have in your life right now, most of them are probably the same. You probably buy the same things from the supermarket each week. You probably have the same lunch routine that you have. And so when we're in our normal everyday life, it's really easy for us to maintain these habits because we've kind of set them up correctly. Well, incorrectly for some people if they're not that healthy. And that's what we want to think about and, you know, for everyone in particular. But where you are right now, Ingrid, it's, it's a really interesting time because you're going, there's a big life shift that's going to happen. And you're going back to a place where traditionally you haven't had great habits. And then when you go back there, you've been in holiday mentality. And I think there's a couple of things to do here. First of all is be easy on yourself about holiday mentality. I think holidaying is a little bit sometimes about letting go of the strictness of the rules we set for ourselves. And I know for myself, when I holiday, actually not exercising is my thing because I exercise so much for my job, but I'm also going to let myself eat a little bit more food. I'm going to sleep a little bit more and, and all the rest of it. And that's, you know, and catching up with friends means you're going to eat a little bit more. And that's actually okay. You know, like I, to me, I feel that's okay unless you're going to extreme levels of it. But, you know, part of holidaying is letting yourself, your hair out. I wouldn't let that kind of stress you too much around the move back to Melbourne. I think the thing that's going to make you successful moving back to Melbourne is being aware of those this, this concept of it's a moment in my life where I'm about to set up new habits. And so one thing that can be really good to do at this time is to go into that time with a predetermined kind of consciously thought out plan that is well what do I want my habits to be so like little things like even like which where do I want to live and now do I want to live place close to places where it's easier to exercise do I want to have accessibility to good gyms do I want to have a, a healthy supermarket nearby me then when I get home how do I create my per- perfect home environment that installs those habits and I think the nice thing about Ingrid where you are right now is that you're in a place where you're very aware of you know not going back to what you were in the past and that you've worked really hard in America to set up these habits. And if anything, my advice to you would be just stick on that line of thought. Don't go back to Melbourne blind and let life just fall into place where you kind of just have these habits that get put upon you. It's that when you move back to Melbourne and even before you move back to Melbourne, understand what those habits are that you want to cultivate and then consciously as you get back and as you plan to get back put them in place and if you do that well then as I was saying earlier you'll probably find that you know 
within a certain period of time, that would just be the way you live your life. So if I have any advice, that would probably be it. And uh, obviously, keep playing your music. So I've got to, I've got to pull up another email here. So let me pull it up here. Uh, uh, so I'm just pulling it up right now. I might pause again because this isn't very good podcasting. Here we go, pause. So this email here, to be honest, I get this question a lot. I get a question of, um, I probably get it every week from people who just going, oh, what books do you read, Bev? And, um, and it's one of those things which I always think to myself, oh, you know, I, I need to get this done, and I never do. So I kind of thought, well, maybe this month I'll just pull up my audiobook account, because uh, to be honest, um, my, my strategies around books are listen to books that are about education and development, read novels. So when I go to bed at night, I read novels, and I have to say... There is one novel, if you want to read, <laughs> if you're more of a novel reader and you don't want to hear about this stuff, I'm loving the book that I'm reading right now, so wait, I'm going to pull that up just for you guys, let me have a look. I think it's called The Mountain Echoes, um, device, Mountain Echoes, yeah, I, now I can't even find it, yes, and The Mountain Echoed, and it's by the guy who wrote The Kite Runner, so if you read The Kite Runner, which I loved and most people did, check it out. Anyway audiobooks that have really had a significant impact on me. Now what I'm going to do is, I haven't done any prep on this, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to crap you guys around. I'm just going to look through my Audible book account and just kind of read some books that I think have really had a big impact on me. And there's one book that I recommend always first to anybody. And it's called The Relationship Cure by a guy called John Gottman. John Gottman is pretty much the world's leading relationship advisor. And this book had a massive influence on my life it seriously did I came out of a relationship which um, started so amazingly well and kind of went downward in a very short period of time and um, and I left that relationship blaming my partner and I didn't do any self-reflection on myself and after reading The Relationship Cure it made me see my faults as somebody in a relationship and it gave me the tools to develop myself as a partner and um yeah, I, I highly recommend The Relationship Cure. I, if there's one book I always recommend to anybody, that would be the first one that comes up. Check it out. Um, uh, there's a marketing book that I'm just kind of looking down here. Uh, this this might be a bit messy as this next bit because I'm kind of just scrolling through my books. But there's a guy called Al Rees. Now, Al Rees has actually passed away now. And I think his daughter, Laura Rees, does a lot of marketing books nowadays as well. But Al Rees is the guy... And him and Jack Trout, I think it is, started the whole concept of positioning, which is a marketing idea. And um, I love marketing. I, I think marketing is such a fascinating subject. And I, um, you know, there's obviously a bad side of marketing, but uh, you know, as a business owner and as someone who you know, is trying to spread his philosophy, I suppose, you know, branding and marketing is a big part of what we do. And there's a book called The Twenty Two Immutable Laws of Marketing. It's a very small book. Um, it's you know it's I don't know maybe a hundred pages not even that, but it's these guys really show you about marketing and it's a book that I just if you're interested in that kind of stuff it's definitely worth the read. Um, as I pull down further on down, um, as I look here, okay, Made to Stick. This is by the Heath Brothers. The Heath Brothers do some really great work and. Uh, yeah, that, that was, it's a really good book. And the whole idea of the, the whole concept of the book Made to Stick is what makes an idea stick? What makes an idea sticky? Why is it that someone can tell you, a, you know, something and it just stays with you? And someone else can tell you something and it's almost like it goes in one ear and out the other ear. And Made to Stick is a really, is a really brilliant book. Um, 
couple books that I kind of think are very interesting in our time is one that's called um, The Science of Fear. And The Science of Fear is a very good book because The Science of Fear, you know, today I've talked about irrationality. And uh, in The Science of Fear, it really shows us that actually, you know, basically we live in the best time ever. And we live in the most peaceful time that ever has existed in human history. We have the best technology. We have, the, you know, everything about our world right now is the best ever. Now, it doesn't mean the world's perfect, don't get me wrong, but a lot of us have fears about things that we really shouldn't have fears around. And um, this book really kind of helps you to understand why we have these fears that aren't fact-based and what we can do to, you know, shift our thinking and some of that stuff so that's kind of another book I really enjoyed um, a random book that's got nothing to do with kind of self-help but I want my MTV which is a history of MTV which I absolutely loved um, you know it's kind of I'm in my mid-30s early 30s mid-36 I am uh, and it's kind of a, a bit of a historical document of something that was pretty important in my time there's a book called Willpower and Actually, it's a brilliant book. Um, I, I don't know who it's by, but it was a very, very brilliant book that really influenced a lot of my thinking. Dan Ariely does some good work. He's got um, the predictably irrational and the honesty about the true honesty about truth, uh, which is very good. Um, thinking Fast and Thinking Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Uh, he's that's another really great book, and. Do you know what? This is one that I'm going to recommend that is very controversial. Um, Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn really explores um, where our sexual behaviours start from. And I know as a male, um, and I know a lot of men, kind of struggle with the internal battle of their sexual side. And uh, this book is, is, is very interesting. It's, it's a big book, but it's a very interesting book that I know when I read it gave me a good understanding of my sexual self and um and, and I uh, yeah I, I know it's got its critics and I know some people will read it and we anti it um I can't speak of a female's experience with this book but I know for me it was a book that really I know really kind of I don't know I just really enjoyed um just kind of getting to the last few books on my list here um yeah I think, I think they'll probably do for now obviously there's more books, I listen to a book every 10 days, so there's a lot of books out there that you can look in, and it's always hard to find the great books, sometimes you know, you'll know you get a good one, sometimes you won't, but hopefully you know, there's some books in there that you guys want to listen to, or read, or want to get hold of, what I'm going to do is, I'll put a link to all those books on my show notes for this week's show so you can go onto my website www.bevanjamesisles.com find the show notes for this month's show and I'll have little links here now admittedly I'll, I'll get an affiliate fee which means if you buy a book I'll probably get two cents from Amazon but you know I must get two cents <laughs> so uh, check that out and uh, yeah, hopefully there's some stuff for you guys to read um, other than that, that's pretty much this month's show. It's a longer show. I don't normally go over an hour, so it's it's a longer show. Hopefully, you got some value from it. If you've got any questions, you can send them through to bevanjames at gmail.com or uh, go to my website, bevanjamesisles.com. You can like me on Facebook or um, you know follow me on Twitter. I send out my actually. If you want to get my weekly newsletters, go to my website and just sign up, and then I'll send them. I send them through weekly, and it's just you know the pieces that I've written for my local paper, just on the book front. Uh, so it's all go. We've been, we're kind of, kind of 
penciled in the date of August this year is when the book's going to be coming out. So really, it's less than, it's, you know, six months from now, the book's going to be coming out. It's currently at the editor. And um, I got a lovely email from my publisher today, actually, because the editing process was the part that I thought would be the hardest part because I don't see myself as a strong writer and especially when it comes to the grammar and, and that side of things and you know like I, I don't even know how to structure a sentence you know officially um, and so as while it's an era of developing myself in I thought this part of the process would be pretty painful because you know I see it as a weakness and uh, I got a lovely email from my publisher just saying how um, you know that the, the the, the editor really thinks I've got a really good book there and they really like the way I've written it. Sure, there's some work to be done, but, you know, they, they don't see it as too much hard work. So, I don't know, it kind of made me feel good. Anyway, you guys have a wonderful month and hopefully it heats up here for my summer. And if you've got any questions, fire them my way, spread the word about the show and get out there and, and keep being great. See you guys later.